Today I'm breaking the rules. Okay, Eva, as I firmly believe that there's always a time and a place to break the rules, and yes, you can tweak me on that too. I'm in really good company, though, as Christ was renowned for his uh, rule-breaking habits. But he got punished for it too. So I warn you that if you want to become a rule-breaker, there are some consequences that aren't pleasant. The Israelites uh, this morning in our passage were wanting a new life after slavery. But they had forgotten how to behave in relationship with Yahweh. So God gave them some guidelines. If you look closely at the passage we read in Exodus, you'll see that not only are these guidelines effective in building relationship with Adonai, but also with each other and oneself. Yep, I think that we need to learn how to live with ourselves before we can effectively live with others and even with God. Rules, however, are not the only way that we learn how to nurture our relationship with Christ, with others, and with ourselves. We often do this through the enactment of rituals. Sometimes I forget that centuries existed between the Hebrew scripture events and those portrayed in the gospel. Actually, I sometimes even forget that centuries have passed since Christ worked walked on the earth. Jesus never once ignored the ritual practices of the Jewish tradition. He becomes a pilgrim like thousands of others before his time and thousands of others during his time to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. It's not just a one night event, it's a series of small events beginning with the feast the unleavened bread. Now bread is a big deal in the Bible and it dates back to the times of Genesis. If we have a look at these Bible passages, uh, the first one is where Melchizedek uh, is taking the bread and the wine and he's the priest and this is our first mention of bread and wine in, uh, in, the, in, in the Bible and it happens to be in the temple. So Bread and wine as part of rituals in the temple have always existed. It's more than just a meal though. It signifies relationship or fellowship. Almost every time that we see bread mentioned, something significant is about to happen or something significant is currently happening. In this Exodus passage, we are told that it signifies a lasting relationship with Yahweh and should be celebrated for all generations to come. And it's a wonderful relationship of freedom and love. It's still very much a significant celebration in the Jewish tradition today. Bread and wine in religious settings are symbols of something much bigger than filling our stomachs with food and lightening our moods with wine. <laughs> As we read the events recorded in Matthew, I want you to feel yourself transported back in time. Listen to the noise of the people around Jesus and his disciples as they're having this conversation. See the faces of the disciples as Jesus is speaking to them during this meal. 
food and the wine that is being served. Smell the room they are sitting in and feel the fabric and the wood on which they are surrounded. Okay, try not to think of your own derriere or your grumbling stomach though. Let's read Matthew 26, 17 to 30. So the disciples have repaired the room for the supper and everyone has gathered. The room is filled with a hum of conversation as people share the story of how God saved the Israelites from the bondage of slavery in between the various elements, uh, meal elements. Jesus reclines as he watches his disciples around the table. And sort of slowly they end their conversation and start looking at Jesus to see if he has something to say. Jesus always has something to say. And they love to listen. But what Jesus tells them is incredibly upsetting for them to hear. I think even there might be one or two a little angered that Jesus would even suggest that one of them was going to betray him. But not Jesus. Not Judas. He decides that he has to challenge Jesus and Jesus replies back to him, you yourself have said it. The meal continues though and I imagine that the once cheerful chatter that uh, filled this room has turned into a more somber tone and is stilled to a series of very hushed little conversations. But the meal's not over yet. The meal's not over yet. Jesus continues as host to take the bread and give thanks and then break it before giving it to his disciples and then doing the same with a cup of wine. I must just tell you that a part of the custom is that the person who is holding the bread must first be holding the bread before you actually give the blessing. And Jesus does not break a single rule during the meal or even in the execution of it. He really upholds this tradition very carefully. However, it is at this point in the meal that I'm sure the disciples are sitting there with their jaws hanging open and wondering how this meal, which started out as a pretty normal feast, has turned into one of bizarre, bizarre statements and behavior by Jesus. Actually, it makes me feel a lot more normal when I think of some of the crazy Easter and Christmas meals I've been to with my family. This is my body. When Jesus is saying that, he's signifying the Passover lamb, which was normally divided up. And this is the fruit of the vine. The fruit of the vine. And it signifies the blood which ensured their protection from the angel of death. These disciples and us today are given a brand new covenant. One that is freedom through the forgiveness of sins and the promise of everlasting life with Christ in Abba's kingdom. We share this meal and tell this gospel narrative so that we never forget the covenant that is made with us. 
Paul the Apostle loved to use the Greek word konoia, konoia for communion. But it also can be translated as fellowship. Fellowship, communion. Gary Badcock writes in his book that fellowship is something that is shared with someone that we have something in common with. Fellowship means that we have something in common with someone. When we are in fellowship with each other, we have something in common with each other. And when we are in fellowship with God, we have something in common with God. Every time we take this bread and drink this juice, we are participating in common fellowship. Not only with every believer around the world, but with God. I put up here a few slides of various people around the world, different faith traditions from Pentecostal to Methodist to Catholic, uh, even to Orthodox, uh, sharing in the meal. Sharing in the meal. Today, they will be sharing in the meal with us. Please think about this. Fellowship with God is always life-changing. Fellowship with God is always life-changing. It invites us to live as rule breakers. Over the past few weeks, we've been really talking about the ways in which God's kingdom does not operate in the same way that this earthly kingdom does. And I think that if we're living in fellowship, we start to live with kingdom values and in kingdom ways that break the rules of this world. We become generous in our forgiving. We show others undeserved mercy and grace and love because it is an expression of the kingdom to which we belong. We acknowledge that we have been at the receiving end of Christ's generosity and his refusal to accept the injustices imposed on the most vulnerable in this society. Jesus refused to accept those rules. He feeds the hungry. He comforts the brokenhearted. He heals the sick. And he preaches the good news to all. Today, friends, as we share in this meal, we are accepting that we have something in common with each other, Christ. We also acknowledge that we have something in common with God, Christ. And we smile because it's all amazing grace that transforms us through the wonderful power of the Holy Spirit living within us. It gently takes hold of our lives and leads us closer to the kingdom of God. We even the rocks will proclaim God's glory and will not be silenced. We are sharing in a kingdom meal in the presence of Christ himself. Can you see him reclining at our table today, blessing the bread and blessing the juice? and generously giving of himself again. And all are welcome.